I'm Carol Speakerman, and this is Speakerman Speaks Retail, presented by MarketScale. Hey everyone, it's Carol, and welcome to Speakerman Speaks Retail. I'm a retail analyst, speaker, trainer, and trusted advisor to all kinds of retail stakeholders across a dizzying array of categories, business models, and touch points. All of it is guided by my latest retail trajectories. These are the higher truths and calls to action that unite this diverse retail ecosystem. So welcome to Lucky Episode 13. And I actually think you're going to feel pretty lucky after listening in because today is positively loaded with insights right from the source. Retailers. I reached out to some of my most trusted retail experts to weigh in on the topic that we've been taking on for the last several episodes as part of my Eight Mistakes Retail Suppliers Can't Make series. So I asked these retail leaders to weigh in on the top mistakes they see suppliers making. And boy, did they want to share. I heard back from leaders at top retailers and retail platforms across all kinds of categories, and I'm so excited to share their insights and advice with you today. Whatever it is that you supply, whether it's products, brands, solutions, or services, you're going to want to listen all the way through to hear right from the source. I really love the feedback that I got on a couple of fronts. First of all, just the sheer diversity of ideas and opinions about what really matters, I just really appreciated it because no two people said the same thing. But I will say that some clear themes definitely emerged through all of it. So what I did was I distilled all the feedback down to three primary mistakes that framed the specifics that everybody shared. And I really appreciated the detail that a lot of the participants went into because to me, this demonstrates a real desire to help. I'll tell you that these folks weren't complaining or throwing shade on suppliers. They really wanted to make things better for everyone. So as we go along, I'm going to reveal three main mega mistakes, if you will. And then I'm going to back it up with the specific comments and advice that these leaders wanted you to hear. Along the way, I might pop in a few of my retail trajectories that tie it all together because the synergies were amazing between the feedback that I got and the trajectories that we've been talking about in past episodes. And by the way, I'm not going to directly attribute quotes or mention specific retailers because I promised that I wouldn't and I guaranteed complete anonymity to my experts. But know that the feedback is coming from retailers that should be near and dear to any supplier doing high volume business or building relationships with retailers that have demonstrated real staying power in key categories. So the responses represent an awesome cross-section of directional retailers and digital platforms. One of those fundamental trajectories that we've been talking about and that is just fundamental to my work and to so many of the mistakes that we've covered so far is platform positioning. You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again now. Retailers are no longer just places that sell stuff. They're platforms that tie together content, data, new formats, products, solutions, acquisitions, partnerships, and so much more. Quite a bit of the input that I received can be summed up in one mistake that directly violates that reality. Not plugging into retailers' platform power. It seems that suppliers and solution providers are still treating retailers just as places that sell their stuff, and they're ignoring retailers' growing platform power. One retail exec said that suppliers are barely scratching the surface when it comes to leveraging all the tools that they offer now. Tie into that another top trajectory that we've hit on a few times, buy, build, or bridge is the question that all retailers are asking themselves at every turn. When does it make sense to make an acquisition? When is it better to build solutions in-house? 
or to bridge through partnership. That bridge piece, which we've talked quite a bit about, it presents obvious opportunities because that's when retailers decide to reach out for help. But here's a twist. When they do build something internally, they've made an investment and they want to see a return on that investment. And retailers are doing all kinds of building these days, building big brand teams and big brand portfolios and the opportunity that private brands present. They're building incredible data capabilities also, and in some cases, what amounts to their own internal ad agencies, which of course are fueled by those data operations. One person who's immersed in that world within a major retailer referred to this as becoming an integrated media house. You talk about not just being a place that sells stuff, but his feedback is, these days, marketing isn't so much about signage and traditional marketing channels, but more about how suppliers can bring in that national brand equity and then lean into the tools that they provide in-house to make things happen from there. Now, that was backed up by another contributor who said she gets really frustrated by having to deal with all these solutions that some suppliers are just cobbling together shopper marketing resources, data analytics, and so on. She pointed out, just as the first contributor did, that they've developed a lot of capabilities in-house that these suppliers can tap into, and either way, that suppliers should be consolidating their resources and sort of tightening up the ship, not having such a fragmented proposition, particularly when it comes to having a unified view of the customer. But the big takeaway is that retailers want you to go to their tools first. They built them for a reason. That also means that you have to know about them in the first place. And that's not going to happen if you're just pitching and in that very one-sided way of doing business. You've got to conduct relevant research and start asking new questions. Questions about those pet projects, about those new platform capabilities, and about how they want you to tap into them. But this is all great news, and it ties back into what we talked about in the last episode— You want to hire folks and have people in your teams that ask good questions, because the more good questions you ask, the more opportunities you're going to have to meet with new people, all those new faces that run various aspects of retailers' platforms. Your retailer-facing teams need to be charged with building influence networks within retailer organizations, not just selling stuff to traditional decision makers. Now, one of the best ways to do that is to do better research, to research their buy, build, and bridge decisions, and also have a plan for supporting all three strategies. Again, it's easy to think that that bridge piece is a real opportunity because that's when they're turning over control and building partnerships, but there are plenty of opportunities to support their acquisitions and also when they're building things in-house. There's a big difference between waiting for someone at Retailer HQ to say, hey, uh, we want you to start using this tool going forward and you and your teams proactively getting in on the ground floor and looking for opportunities to tap into their platform expertise and their platform capabilities. The difference really is somebody who is in that sea of sameness with all your competitors who are just waiting to be told and maybe even complaining that they were broadsided by some mandates, but know that a lot of the things that they want you to do may never become mandates It's going to be up to you to take the ball and run with it. And again, to ask those relevant questions to know what the options even are. The big takeaway is if they built it, they want you to use it. It's a simple rule and one that isn't hard to follow. The next macro mistake sums up so many of the insights and advice that retailers shared with me. And I summed it up as shady self-interest. 
Now, one retail executive told me about how suppliers can get so caught up in winning against their competitors, and this is particularly true in the heat of RFP processes, that they make promises that they just can't keep. Basically, they're competing against one another more than they're competing for the customer or for the business. And another contributor voiced concern about rushing product launches and all the problems that can stem from that. Now, the reason I put this under shady self-interest is because, as he pointed out, suppliers usually do this because they're trying to make their numbers for a quarter or for the year. Basically, they're thinking short-term and just hoping it works out. But a lot of times, the retailer pays the price, and there are a lot of unhappy surprises along the way. Pivoting right off of that is the evergreen issue of conflating suppliers' internal goals and timelines with retailers' priorities. This usually takes the form of suppliers applying pressure, over-communicating, and even going over people's heads because they're trying to hit an internal goal, or simply they just don't have the self-awareness to know where what they do falls on the list of their retailers' priorities. One contributor called it the spray-and-pray method. And you definitely don't want to be that guy spraying and praying and sending emails and just harassing your retail partners. But there's a spinoff that I include in this same category, because at the end of the day, it's also a form of self-interest. I received several comments about suppliers not being properly prepared to pursue opportunities. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but I want to reiterate it here. The importance of doing relevant research. This isn't just about how many stores they have or whether business is good or not so good. This is about digging deeper. The reason you need to do this is because retailers do have so many options at their disposal these days, and the business is so much more complex. Their organizational structures are all completely unique now. No two are taking the same approach. No two are making the same buy, build, or bridge decisions. No two have the same culture or history. So yeah, this puts a bigger burden on suppliers to uncover all these differences and nuances. But based on my contributor panel, it's all going to pay off because so many of your competitors are still taking a one-size-fits-all approach to their retailer relationships. They're just cutting and pasting. It does boil down to self-interest because if you're doing that, you're doing the bare minimum. I got a passionate response on the culture front. One gentleman was telling me very specifically all of the readily available books and other resources that suppliers can easily access to become well-versed in his retail culture. He said very few take the time. His quote was, when a supplier doesn't know our story, it shows they're not doing their homework. Now that's pretty straightforward advice, right? Every retailer has a history. Every retailer has a unique culture. And you have to remember that those cultures also evolve. Plenty of retailers and solution providers, a lot of times they have outworn or cliche ideas about particular retailers, ones that have just been perpetuated over time in the media and so on. That can be more dangerous than not knowing anything. You want to get their story straight, not just your own, and you have to acknowledge their uniqueness and their unique place in the retail landscape. That brings us to our last mega mistake not keeping up. One retail executive called out that brands can play it too safe with their marketing. They're not evolving the image of their brands for the future. Now, she noted that some brands are playing the same commercial campaigns and promoting the same deals over and over, and even using the same media, even as trends change. And as research comes out that particular mediums are falling by the wayside, or others are becoming more effective. 
But when brands do this, consumers can lose interest. And this really speaks to the need to balance the consumer side of the business with the retailer side of the business. Brands can get so used to responding to retailers that they fall asleep at the wheel with consumers, and that in turn can compromise their relevance to retailers. But on the other hand, brands that are too immersed in the consumer side often assume that they've automatically covered off on what retailers want. They say, hey, consumer demand is the same as what retailers want, so that's all taken care of. So it's important to acknowledge the difference between consumer dynamics and retailer dynamics and to keep track of both sides of the business and how they're evolving. I see a lot of insecurity among suppliers when it comes to keeping up. Lots of suppliers worry about being exposed and looking stupid. And I guess that can happen, although I think most retailers these days are actually pretty forgiving because the decision makers within retail organizations, they're moving around so much that they're having to get up to speed on new processes and new categories and new technologies all the time. So they're in a constant learning cycle and in a constant acclimation cycle. No sooner do they get the hang of something, then it's time to move on. And they tell me this all the time. So I'm sharing this with you so that you can know that the person sitting across from you or on your Zoom call may have just landed in their position from a completely different role. So what doesn't get talked about enough is the need to stay in the know and to evolve and not to get complacent, but also not to overestimate what it takes to do that and to get insecure about staying on top of retail dynamics. Retail is a dynamic, fast-moving business these days, so keeping up can feel like a really overwhelming, daunting task. But in my experience, the suppliers that cave into that defeatist thinking tend to start reverting back to old defaults and bad habits. They'll just give up on the idea of having any thought leadership and go back to pitching and taking orders. Know that your customers and prospects recognize and respect earnest effort, so you don't have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of every aspect of their business. Remember, most of the people you're meeting with don't. But you must at least attempt to bring a point of view and demonstrate an understanding that transcends what you do and what you're trying to pitch. Now, on the positive side of this, one contributor gave specific props to a supplier that she works with who definitely does keep up. She said that he's a real resource to her, that she always learns something new whenever they meet, and that his company and the team that supports him are constantly bringing on the value. She said they help her keep up. Now that's the highest praise that every supplier should strive for. Providing value, being a resource, getting off that pitch train for just a minute. So you can help them get up to speed on your industry and define the space. But you can't do it if you're letting insecurity kill this opportunity. So those are the three big mistakes. And I want to recap best practices that we've covered. First of all, look for every opportunity to tap into retailers' platforms. And for those of you who also work with brands, the same rule applies. Many of your brand partners, especially some of these mega brands, are building out incredible capabilities, and they also want you to tap into them or have your solutions and services easily plug into them. And remember, too, that the more you leverage their platform power, the more meaningful you are to them. Ask those new questions and stay on top of how their platforms are evolving and the tools that they're making available to you. They may not hand you a mandate or tell you you have to, but that's still no reason not to pursue it. Build those influence networks in the process. 
the more that you leverage their platforms, the more you have the opportunity to get referrals and forge relationships with the folks who manage these new platform capabilities. So it really is a win for everybody. And you got to show the hand to self-interest and get yourself off your mind. Uncover retailers' goals and timelines and don't let yours override them. Dig deeper into your research and acknowledge your customer's unique place in the landscape. By all means, don't ignore culture, but also you need to avoid easy assumptions that may no longer be accurate or relevant. Look for opportunities to be a true resource to your partners, your prospects, and your customers. This is really good stuff, and I want to thank all the retail contributors who participated and those of you who shared insights for this episode. Know that you're helping suppliers of all stripes as they prepare for 2021. So I hope you'll stay tuned for the rest of the series, and thank you for listening in today. Now, we may have completed this roundup, but know that I always love to hear from you wherever you sit in retail. You can ping me at carol at speakermanretail.com or hit my site at speakermanretail.com to check out more insights, to subscribe to my updates, and get the latest on events and other happenings. In fact, I'm updating my calendar this week. There's a lot of exciting events on the horizon. See you next time and happy selling.